When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bowl, the Fountain of Truth, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And today we talk about a topic that is, I would call it a water cooler topic, the prettiest girl at the party. And that is, we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, what this means. Now, of course, for us, if you are, let's say, even over the age of 40, you don't have to be over the age of 60 or 70. This is a relatively new thing, although we've been involved with it, hearing about it in the workplace for several years already. Now it's becoming something that is in our everyday lives. I'll give you one little story and explain to you why I so much wanted Farzan Nayani to be with us today. Uh, I am a volunteer, and many of us are volunteers, and many of us have devoted ourselves to volunteerism after we retired. Well, in my volunteer world, I have just been told, and all of the 280 volunteers have been told, that we are going to take diversity, equity, and inclusion classes and training. Now, in other words, this important part of the way we think and relate to other people has come out of the workplace alone, out of the school system alone, and into the lives of retirees even, who are active volunteers. So today, there's no place you can go whether it's your own small business, whether you become a late-life entrepreneur, whether you're still working in an organization, corporation for, for decades, there's no place you can go now with diversity, equity, inclusion, and you'll probably have the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer that impacts your life. So this is no longer something for younger folks only. It's important to us, and therefore we have it and feature it on our show. And we're so pleased today to have Farzana Nayani. Now, she is not only a recognized diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, so you're going to understand what that means in a minute, but she is the author of How People Create Authentic Change, something we talk about and aspire to all the time, and Raising Multiracial Children. And she is one of them herself. So we'll be talking about all of these things, what it means to you, and how you feel about it. So Farzana, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's take a deep dive here. Uh, everybody's DEI, that's what they said. They, said, they sent us a, 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 an email. You're a volunteer. Well, you have to have DEI training, diversity, equity, inclusion. What's the di- what, three words? Do they all mean the same thing? What do they cover? What do we mean by that? What kind of training is this? Great question. And I love hearing your story because so many people out there are receiving the same information around needing this at work or just generally. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, the abbreviation for it is DEI. And the D stands for diversity. And it really means thinking about how diverse your workforce is or uh, the, the people that you serve. Uh, the marketplace, your customers, whatever it is. And as we think about diversity, we also want to expand that to thinking about who's in leadership. So it's not just folks who are, you know, at, at the table, but what roles they have as well. And, and as we think about that, the, the E is around equity and how we can create a sense of access, the ability for fairness and, and uh, the resources that are available across the board. 
And the reason why equity is important is because it sometimes people mix it up with equality. Like, hey, if I just treat everybody the same, that's that's going to be enough, but it's not. So if you think about entering a building and there's a set of stairs and there's a door and we say, hey, you know what? It's the same set of stairs for everybody and it's the same door. Well, someone in a wheelchair can't get in. So what we're trying to do, right, is create a sense of that uh, ability for all people to have the opportunities and resources available. And that's where I comes in as well. I stands for inclusion, and that's including people, making sure they're part of the process, not just, uh, you know, counting who's there, but how involved people are. And sometimes people say DEIB and B stands for belonging and how people feel actually engaged in a sense of belonging as well. Well, that's probably, if you do the first three right, you'll get number four oh, pretty easily. They'll feel belonged if you have a diverse group that's, uh, you know, equitably treated and included. It leads to that feeling of belonging, which is very important, particularly if you're dealing in a team. But I'm going to ask you the jugular question for our group. Mm-hmm. When you think about DEI, particularly in the workplace, you think about people who've been marginalized, uh, people of color, women, so on. But what about older folks? I mean, we have generally been the leaders. We, we're probably the senior people there. But uh, very recently, we know that we're marginalized and we're on our way out. How much, in your experience of training and working with corporations and businesses, have you seen the emphasis on age as opposed to, say, color, race, and gender? Great question. I'm so glad you brought it up. And when we look at organizations today, there's something like five de- different generations within a workplace. And when we think about baby boomers and we think about Gen Z, Gen X, millennials, uh, and so on, what can happen is there's this overlap, uh, not only of the different needs, but some groups get more attention. And as you said, some groups are, you know, the outliers or, or maybe uh, less at less in frequency. And so my work around DEI also has to do with a phenomenon called employee research groups. And they are known as ERGs. And they are groups based in organizations around identity groups, it could be race, it could be gender, but it also could be generation. And what we're seeing at organizations is that there are multi generational employee research groups, there are some for early retirees, And I want to say that there is definitely a need for more attention to older generations, to uh, cross-generational mentorship. And in fact, I was just speaking with some leaders at AARP yesterday uh, about this and how they're also getting out there and, and pushing the awareness around needing more attention to these generations and in particular folks who are uh, on their way to retirement, et cetera. So it's such a, actually a cutting edge conversation because it does represent a huge part of our workforce. It certainly does. So let's uh, unpack uh, in the last few minutes of this session, coming back in in a moment or two, each of those, just from the point of view of the older adults, and then we will speak about so many other things when we come back. First, diversity. Um, Is there this idea that Chip Conley, uh, who's one of the leaders in Airbnb and now has the Modern Elder Academy, is there a push, particularly in HR, to have age diversity in their workforce? Is that something that is discussed? 
let's just take that because that's one definition you gave us that there would be many types of people that there would be a diverse team a diverse workforce and actually it's sometimes hard work you go out to find people so that you can create a diverse team is anybody going out to find us there is this concept of diversity of thought as well. And what can happen is if, if you're missing any element of a team, you're missing that insight and that perspective and the decision-making that comes from having wisdom. And what we're seeing is that if you don't take into account all sense of, senses of diversity, you miss out. So what I'd like to say is age is a part of that. There's a lot of bias towards people based on age. It could be younger or older. And the, the difference uh, around looking at folks who have been in the workforce is the workforce is, is changing and how are we keeping up with including everyone? So in terms of, you know, kind of you have to tie in together some of these concepts. So as we're talking about D, it, it does uh, for diversity, it actually relates to inclusion. And I'll give you an example. So if you're rolling out a new technology system, and people are used to being on their phones, the younger generation using apps, has there actually been a training done formally for folks who are not used to doing business that way? And therefore, does it uh, disallow someone from succeeding and being an, an effective employee? And so we need to create, again, equity, so equitable solutions and approaches to making sure everyone has that same fairness and, and ability and chance. So as we look at all of that, um, are people going out and looking for folks? I think, I think it's taken for granted that people are already in the workforce. And my push to leadership and to organizations is to think about how to maximize the effective, you know, uh, inclusion of everyone and, and therefore productivity of the workforce. And You know, you just, uh, what you said a moment ago, created a breakthrough in my thinking. And as we end this segment, I want to bring it up to you so that you can see uh, how we might explore this. So in terms of the older worker, to uh, have a diverse workforce that includes us, that's equitable, and um, what you're talking about is getting us up to speed. When there is a technology issue, and we may not have been brought up with technology, although I know plenty of people over the age of 70 who could take a computer apart, program it, and hand it to you on a spoon. But there are many who cannot because it was right. not their natural language. Tech is not their natural language. So I understand that part of that is training to get you up to speed. But you said something else that fascinated me. You said diversity of thought. It's not only a matter of age, meaning chronologic age. But to create diversity, there needs to be diversity of thought. And one of those things is wisdom, which simply comes with experience. So, you know, de facto, you have to be older because you have to have more years where you could have experienced right. things. Mm -hmm. so, so that's interesting to me. And that means that we as elders should not be changing our thinking to be similar to young people. That's what we're taught to do. Pretend you're younger. Pretend you know the technology. Well, what about the stuff we really do know that nobody else knows because it's perhaps it's the history of the issue, of the experiences of, of difficulty, I'm hoping that this diversity of thought idea that you have, uh, regardless of age, is something that will catch on, as well as the factual diversity of color, gender, age, chron chronologic age. That would be 
something that would make, I think, an, an organization strong. And when we come back, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about your work and how it makes organizations stronger. Don't you guys go anywhere. All of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrienne Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And today we're talking uh, about a topic that's rarely, I think, discussed in these. There's a proliferation of boomer podcasts and boomer shows and so on. But I'm speaking today with uh, Prasanna Nayani, and she is. Uh, a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist. She goes all over the country, all over the world, actually. She has two empowering books out, How People Create Authentic Change, and the, and also uh, her personal book, Raising Multiracial Children and Tools for Nurturing Identity in a Radicalized World. So these are things that you can find on Amazon. We'll get her website in a moment, which is just her name, farzananayani.com. Uh, and of course, we'll have that on the uh, on our website, on the homepage of our website. So one of the things that uh, Farzana brought out was that it's not just diversity of people's color or gender, but also their thinking that makes uh, an organization strong. So I'm going to put this to you, Farzana. Let's say you have a diverse, looks good on the picture, right? You got all <laughs> kinds of colors and right. ages. It looks great. And everybody actually thinks the same way. Are we accomplishing? Or did we accomplish anything? Or is that not really what you do when you empower organizations to be better uh, in terms of how they operate in the world? Having a, a rainbow of people is absolutely not, you know, the end all and be all answer. Uh, there's this concept of tokenism where you have folks from a certain identity group and, and, you know, they're put into a position or put on a flyer or put on a website. And that doesn't make anyone feel good. It's not good for them. It's not good for the organization because it's, it's actually not truthful. Uh, so instead, what we need to do is really incorporate that belonging, that inclusion of, of all individuals. And it comes from not just the individual itself, but the mindset, right, that we value and trust and, and welcome uh, people from all walks of life and, and all backgrounds. And on top of that, understand what can be contributed, but contributed by each person. And if we're talking about the older worker and, and we were talking about wisdom, there's a lot of institutional knowledge that can be passed on from folks who have been there uh, a longer time, not just at a company, but in the industry. I think people confuse, uh, you know, uh, ideas that have been there for a while with, with being stale and, and then welcome kind of the new fresh perspectives, which is fine. But the issue is that we end up making the mistakes that we've already learned from because we haven't done the research or, or you know, uh, an analysis of what has worked in the past. So we end up losing that, that uh, wisdom and accumulation of that information when we bypass 
people who have been in the industry for a long time. And I think that's unfortunate. And instead, we, we can turn it around and look at that as a strength and how we can leverage that and, and incorporate that into our thinking. I, I also want to add that uh, although in areas, whether it's volunteerism, whether it's just being on the board of a retirement home, you know, retirement communities, over 55 communities, have people who are actually 55 years old. They also have people who are 85 years old. So don't think there is an age diversity, just age diversity. Even in retirement, you've got that. That's Great a 30 point. year difference. That's two generations, right? Right there. So um, you have to think about this. Of course, it's the easy shot to say that older adults are important because they know the history, right? And you have some fancy words for that. <laughs> but are we thought of as innovative? I have ideas that nobody's ever thought of because I can process out all the things that went wrong and all the mistakes and see into a future. And so people have to label me a futurist, but we're all futurists as we age. Mm. Are, is that ever considered to be one of our strong suits? Very simple question. Does anybody, even in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion, see older adults as creative? Because every neuroscientist will tell you that creativity in increases with age. Mm. You know, I as you're talking, you're inspiring me, and there's something I want to add to this conversation, and that is the cultural perspectives around aging and and people who are uh, you know moving forward in in age. I think that as we look at some cultures, take, for example, Hawaiian culture and Pacific Islander culture, there's a great reverence for the elderly, for people who are the elders. They're called kapuna. There's a word for that, right? And they're revered and they're treasured. And the stories that are told, the, the, the information that's passed on is something that is held with high regard. When we look at Western culture or other cultures, we don't have that same sense of uh, connection and respect, quite frankly, for that. And I think the problem that we're talking about here, it could come down to the nuts and bolts of, you know, how applicable a skill is or creativity is. But I think it really also comes down to culture. And I think that as we look at and, and examine society, we have to think about, are we discarding an entire generation because of what is considered fresh and new? Or are we, are we really incorporating this multi-generational uh, aspect of, of valuing our people and integrating them into our society? And that's like a deeper, uh, very bold uh, response. But I think when we even define what creativity is, it's being able to connect the dots. It's being able to kind of look into the past, see into the future. It's what you're talking about. And there's a bit of forecasting, like you said, that can happen when you've had a little bit more under your belt. <laughs> right. So I, I, I myself am a Gen Xer, and I, for example, even in my field, see people putting up Instagram pages and TikToks of ideas that have been around a long time, but they've repurposed them and now made them more accessible, which I value. But I can't help but feel a sense of shame around the fact that this has been in a textbook that I've read. This has been in books of professors who I've studied under, who I know came up with these ideas, but we're not even paying homage to that. So I think that there's something also in 
the connection to uh, the folks who are leaders in this work because we stand on the shoulders of those before us. Well, I think that's wonderful and it's true. And as you say, highly unrecognized. My joke is always when you're old, you're in, you're invisible, you're incompetent and you're incontinent. So what we oh, want to do is we want to be, <laughs> we don't want to be in that way, but I'm going to even one step further. And I okay. think this, this may even, um, in your thinking, this is not my world, but in your world, you might be able to even discuss this with regard to race and gender. And that is people don't understand how aging goes, how biologic aging goes, or um, uh, cognitive aging goes. They don't understand it because what you say is right. They're so anti-aging, and it's a word that we have in our dictionary, anti-aging. They only want to look young and be young, and they hate the thought of being old. And that's, by the way, across the age continuum. This isn't just young people. This is old people, too. Yeah, this is all of us. That we don't study what aging is. You know, we know a lot about other stuff, and we don't really understand the nuts and bolts of aging. And it is, of course, that we have the experience and the the memory and, you know, that sort of thing. But we actually age uh, when it comes to our understanding of the future differently biologically. We actually are more creative. For example, just give you one example, and I'll get off the stage here. (laughs) We can make better judgments based on insufficient information. One of the biggest problems of any organization is they don't have all the data to make a good business judgment. So anyone who can have minimal data and make a better business judgment is valuable. And our neurons work in such a way that we can make better, more resultful business judgments or any kind of judgments, whether it's to buy a house and which house, whatever you want to call it, take the medicine, don't take the medicine, based on insufficient information. It's a valuable cognitive skill. It's not just knowing what happened in the past and being able to, as you say in other cultures, impart the stories of the past. We got that. People don't understand aging, so how could they know how valuable we are? This may be true for gender. Uh, We're getting there. We're saying that women, leaders, lead differently and perhaps better. And we need that kind of understanding of their better type of leadership. And men lead better in other ways, and we can learn from each other. That is something that may be the next iteration of what's happening here in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's just not making up for the past. It's looking to see what we can do better in the future. And when we come back, I want to take a real deep dive into your book, because I, uh, and that is uh, the people, how people create authentic change. Because that would really be authentic change, not what you're talking about, just putting the picture, you know, the token picture. We are so thrilled with this conversation. We'll be back in just a moment. All of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit, because I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. You may think that I'm full of it, Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. 
And we're here with a very unusual guest for our show because uh, Farzana Nayani is a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist. She certainly works in the world of work. Uh, she goes all over the world. She's very renowned with regard to helping employee resource groups. She does advisory work with them around small business advocacy, entrepreneurship, racial equity, and inclusion. And, of course, this is a hot topic. It's very, very valuable for corporations, and she uh, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and so on. But she has a personal story, and her personal story, we're going to talk about two of her books, How People Create Authentic Change, and her own personal story, which has to do with her background and her own racial background, because her very popular book, Raising Multiracial Children, Tools for Nurturing Identity in a Radicalized World, is kind of hot, I would say, these days. So what is what is your background? Because you, you didn't get, you didn't just wake up in the morning and become an inclusion specialist. <laughs> well, you know, in some ways, maybe maybe I did. Um, my, my mother, she's from the Philippines, and my father's from Pakistan with his, some of his family from India. So I have roots in India as well. So uh, in many ways, my household was uh, a microcosm of a cross-cultural ecosystem, right? Of how we navigated uh, going about our day, being in a multi-faith household too, with different religions being practiced, different foods being eaten, different languages, and even um, cultural communication styles. So I was brought up in that. And I didn't actually realize that it was different until I started to get out into the world, until I went to school and, and you know, felt that sense of being different. And since then, I've just really dedicated my whole life to understanding it and bringing awareness about it. Now, we have, you know, it's 20, almost 2023, right? Yes. And we have plenty of interracial marriages. Are the kids still feeling it? Is it? I mean, are we still at that point? where we have discrimination, we have teasing, we have bullying just because of that. People have to, do parents have to still be on their toes with regard to this? You know, there was a law passed in 1967. It was uh, a Supreme Court law called Loving versus Virginia. And that case actually overturned something called anti-miscegenation laws, which meant that people of different races couldn't marry. Mm-hmm. And the family name of the couple were actually called Loving, Mildred mm-hmm. and Richard. <laughs> yes. Loving. And they had to run away to get married in another state and uh, basically got arrested when they came back and, and hauled uh, into jail. And the ACLU actually took it up and won the case for them. So that's not that long ago. That's in a lot of people's lifetimes, especially people who are listening to this podcast and can re- remember very clearly about that. So as a result, there are still uh, in certain states, um, people who have upheld this thinking. There are in many neighborhoods, people who find it foreign to see an interracial couple. And as a result, maybe feel sorry for babies being born. So there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding around it. And at the same time, as you mentioned, you know, the younger generation can see themselves on YouTube and see themselves in social media and out there in the world. So there's a bit of a disconnect around how common it is and at the same time how people still feel uh, some kind of way about it. And uh, my efforts in in writing the book, raising multiracial children and doing talks about it, even speaking to companies about it, 
is how to raise awareness around uh, the discussion around race and especially how to be appreciative of multiracial families and even transracial adoptee families. Now, you, you use the word tools in, in the title of the book, um, you know, tools for nurturing identity or in the subtitle. What are some of those tools? So the tools that I speak about are geared for parents. They're geared for teachers. They're geared for uh, a number of different communities and also, um, you know, folks who are multiracial themselves. And they're reflective exercises as well as I even have lesson plans in there that speak about how to bring about the conversation about race and also how to um, process when you have moments where someone says something that could be uh, a misunderstanding or it could be, you know, an insult in some ways. So there's a whole range of of different uh, tools in there around that. I also share resources. So my, my bucket list of conferences that I like to go to or, uh, films I like to see, or picture books for kids. So it's a comprehensive book on all of the above. And, of course, we get it on Amazon. Yeah, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as uh, your local bookstore. And it's also online at Walmart and Target because it's distributed by Penguin Random House. Now, of course, there's a parallel here to issues of aging. Issues of aging and changing our thinking about being old really could start when we're uh, going to kindergarten or even before, uh, 63% of the way we feel about being old is what we learn from our grandparents. That's according to the Planck uh, Institute. And um, here again, this inclusion and diversity could be changed very early if we have a complete acceptance of all races and genders and multiracial and so on very early. And that's really what you're hoping for with this particular book. So it is difficult to change our thinking and our mindsets about ourselves more even than other people, but certainly other people as you get older. So the schools seem to be the first position, let's say, for doing the right thing here. And I hope that it's, it's taking off. Now, you say it has. You say it's, it's pretty popular and it has yeah. legs, this book. Absolutely. It came out in 2020. And if you remember, um, everything was shut down. It came out in March. So we had no forewarning and canceled the in-person book tour. But it um, over the last two years has sold about 7000 copies, which is tremendous for a book. Uh, And at the same time, I've seen how it's reached not only uh, the direct parenting audience, but grandparents pick it up and read it because right now they're Families are getting more and more mixed yes, absolutely. or, um, you know, other relatives too. So I just feel a lot of heart around this conversation, this topic, and really how earnest people are in, in wanting to learn about it. And I think that intention is so pure in a lot of ways. And it's just a matter, again, of looking at how we can go about having a conversation. You know, I, I'm just wondering whether those tools um, could not be generalized to transgender kids to um, just, you know, all, all people. In other words, tools so that you have a greater acceptance and a greater understanding. And the, the categories is just the McGovern, you know, but it's the way that we see people and that we are able to actually see the person and not the facade that makes such a difference in diversity and equity and inclusion. And that would be a great amount of change. And I want to use that to bridge to your other book. 
how people create authentic change. What Again, uh, going to definitions, what is the difference between change and authentic change? Yeah, so the, the full title of this book is called The Power of Employee Research Groups, How People Create Authentic Change. And it's, it's about identity. It's about how if we foster a healthy sense of ourselves and an inclusive environment, that's really authentic change. And that's what I mean. I don't mean the checkbox sense of diversity. I don't mean uh, the tokenism, as I spoke about earlier. I don't mean the superficial experience of having that multicultural society, that banner that you hang up. It's really about understanding people at a deeper level and appreciating and, and receiving other perspectives. And I am, have committed my life's work to this. I can't say enough about how passionate I am. Uh, we just had an election in this country, and it, it's, it's tremendous to me to see the range of perspectives and at the same time the empowerment we all have around our own visions. And I think that authentic change really has to come into play when we think about systems that have been oppressive in the past, people who have been left out intentionally or unintentionally, and what we can do to right that ship. So I, I think we all have a part to play, and I think we are seeing a lot of, uh, you know, the outcome of that, those efforts. So now when we go on to our next segment, we'll take a little bit of a break. I want to get to something that many people maybe want to sweep under the rug, which is if you go through a diversity, equity, and inclusion training, you may have to face your own prejudice. And if you ask somebody if they're prejudiced, they'll tell you no most of the time. Uh, but when they go through trainings, and they th- or even they just read your book or they think about it, they may find a different person inside. It's very, very derailing. And what can we do about that to improve and feel even better, not just about the other guy, but about ourselves? Because it's not that you could have been somebody. You, It's not too late to be who you could have been. So get out there, kids, and make it happen. I'm inappropriate. 